Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome to the second of two episodes in our Mother's Day series. I came across Ashley's work at Bright Roots Kitchen a long time ago, and I particularly enjoyed a live interview that she did with her mother, Precious. Just like last week's guests, the relationship between these two was so close and natural that they easily went from teasing each other to supporting one another through really difficult parts of the conversation. So when I was looking for mothers to interview along with their children, Ashley was the first I thought of. I really wanted to hear more about their memories of Jamaica, Brooklyn, Queens, but there was something in particular that I was wondering personally. As a mother raising four boys who are already now searching and seeking for their own identities, apart from mine and my husband's, they're making their own paths away from our family. This is natural and good and healthy, but as every parent of teenagers knows, it's also a little bittersweet. And what I wondered is this, is that process more painful for a first-generation immigrant watching their child adapt and adopt a new country? How challenging was it for Precious, a Jamaican, to accept Ashley's assertion that she was a Black American woman? To listen to these two discuss their memories of Jamaican chicken soup made by at least five generations of women, their heritage, and the global village that gave them what they needed to thrive, We remember and are comforted by the fact that the love of a parent and child can stay strong and even be strengthened by the teenage years, differences in personality, and even arriving at new and separate identities. I'm so grateful to Ashley and Precious for this joyful, thought-provoking, uplifting, and illuminating conversation. I am honored to welcome them and to welcome all of you, dear listeners, to the podcast today. Enjoy. So first of all, is it Jackie or is it Precious? <laughs> Which is it? My legal name is Jackie, but um, <laughs> we, we call a pet name or a nickname is Precious. I was born with, you know, given that name, mm. but it's not a legal name, but it's a name that a lot of people call me, which I'm mm. quite happy with. So you touched on the story of that name in that interview. And of course, I was curious. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Who chose to call you Precious and why? And then how did that expand through the community? Well, I'm the fourth child Mm. of six deliveries from my mom, Mm. but I'm the third of five living children. Mm. So my mother had the pain for delivery and um, she knew she was in labor, went inside and sent someone to get the midwife. But by the time the midwife got there, I was already born. So just me and her. Wow. So I'm not, I must have been like, she said, I just slipped out. (laughs) 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 But I was born with a veil over my face, she said. Hmm. And I'm sure she said she lifted off the face to she didn't know what it meant. So mm-hmm. the midwife was very angry with her. And I'm sure it's a part of the placenta that she moved. <laughs> My mother is thinking it's an angelic thing. Mm. So she named me based on a girl who had just died. Her name was also precious. Mm. So I guess they both tied into each other. Like the mm-hmm. way I was born, it was special, the name. Mm-hmm. And it's just a name that everyone started calling me. I didn't even know my name was Jacqueline until I was, I guess, started school. Really? I had no idea my name was Jacqueline. Like the different countries, you know, mm-hmm. by the time you're a certain age, you know, my mother had three children in one school. Mm-hmm. So she says, just stay here and wait for your name to be called. So I must have been maybe five <laughs> or six years old. Yeah. Kindergarten, I guess I'm five. 
just stay and wait with everybody until your name is called. And I waited and I waited and waited. And my name was never called until, <laughs> until, the, until the teacher came up to me and said, what is your name? I said, precious. She oh. said, there's no precious on the roster. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's why they figure what's your, la- you know, what's your surname? I knew my surname, right. but I didn't know my legal first name. <laughs> What a story. Did you say, mom, you might have bothered to tell me. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like one of those things. It's like, okay, it's a, just the way we grew up. It's like, you never. That's amazing. I never bothered to ask her why. Mm, that's yeah. amazing. Mm. <laughs> so I, we're going to return to this name a little bit later when we talk about your relationship, because I can't, I mean, a name is very, very powerful. And I think honestly, honestly, I was a little jealous. I was like, I can't imagine walking around in this world. And every time someone addresses me, they call me precious. <laughs> like, that's a gift. Thank you. Did you feel that? Or was it just a name to you? Well, it was just a name. And I didn't always like it when I was younger because mm. our country is very religious. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't hear people talk about Jamaica as being very religious. Mm. But we listened to a lot of gospel songs in church and precious mm. memories, which one of the songs that, you know, people would sing to me. Mm. And I didn't always like that. Mm. And, you know, now I understand and I respect that because the song goes, precious memories, how they linger, how they ever flood your, how they ever flood my soul. Mm. And, you know, like in the stillness of the midnight, you know. Mm. And I believe in the precious memories of my life. Mm. And I've, this is how I've carried through the American dream mm. is following my precious memories from Jamaica. So that song now means so much to me because I believe so much in memories mm-hmm. and how you live your life. And, you know, you believe that memories help you know what to do in the future or you believe that memories are to be cherished. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, to be sh- cherished Mm. and it's not to be taken for granted Mm. because I have so many great memories. And if I didn't have them from Jamaica, I'm not sure I would have prospered as well as I did raising children or living in this Mm. country because I just find America to be a very difficult and hard country to live in, Hmm. you know, when as an immigrant, you know, I I can't speak for people who are born here, but as an immigrant, Mm, okay. So yeah, so the memories uh, it means more now. I I really love the name. I mean, I've gotten mm-hmm. to love it, but I didn't always like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have so many follow up questions, but I can un- <laughs> I, I can understand a little bit. I'm kind of typing some notes here. I can understand a little bit when Ashley asked you about the name in her interview with you. You said it's a lot to live up to, and mm-hmm. I thought, huh, that's interesting. But I can see that now understand that a little bit more because you had that you had that soundtrack in the background yeah Yeah. Yeah, it was just always singing and singing it to me I'm like okay enough enough (laughs) 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 okay so this is I think the perfect direction because I do want to talk about what it's been like for you to be as an immigrant and also to raise a second generation daughter here. And so I love that you you like totally set this up by saying that it all flows from these memories that you have of Jamaica. And I just, I have this huge smile on my face right now, because when you two were talking on your interview and you were just laughing about the way you kind of meander around, <laughs> stop, you know, where, where the spirit leads you. 
<laughs> and that you always walked, you know, on took a lot of stops on the way home and you mm-hmm. said something. It was like the most beautiful visual. I, I wrote it down when I heard you mm-hmm. say it. You said that when you did that, when you meandered on your way home after school, you said, I think I was photographing my life before I had a camera, mm-hmm. which was that really resonated with me. So tell me what you meant by this and describe some of those photographs from your life in Jamaica. Tell me about those carefree afternoons on the way home. You can give me all the sensory, all the sensory experiences maybe that stand out to you. Okay. So my memory, I started roaming the streets. I must have started doing that since I was like nine years old. Wow. And I lived in Kingston and I lived in a straight path Mm. from my school straight to my home Mm. but I never I don't remember ever taking that path and if I did take that path (laughs) I would stop to buy a patty or you know beef patty or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know sugar bun or I always made a stop somewhere Mm. I I could never go I don't think I've ever went straight home Mm. but my biggest sensory is like I think it must have been a crossroads it's called or no halfway tree I think it's called halfway tree wait at the bus stop Mm. And listening to everybody. And so I always say we created the mobile food truck. Mm. But it started as a, (laughs) I think we did before it became a food truck. We started on a moped. And, you know, guys would have food on the back of their moped. You know, it's peppered shrimp. Yes. So that's in the back of a cart on a moped. Mm. And then you'd have other guys with hand carts with food, like something called a sky juice. Mm. That was juice in a bag, in a plastic bag with a straw. Really? So it was a crushed ice with uh, with syrup. What your choice? Yeah. And then you'd have someone else singing, you know, you know, I, I, I'll just describe the sounds to you. So sky juice is the juice. Mm. So you'd hear sounds like sky juice, rings mm. and disco pops, <laughs> peanut, cleaner, star, fudgy, naughty body. <laughs> <laughs> so people are always like saying, you know, like all these things that they're selling. Yeah. So you could smell the food, you can hear the sound. And just growing up in Kingston, our accents were like dragged out. So everyone yeah. in Jamaica wanted to have the Kingstonian accent. Oh, really? So it, was like, it was one of the accents that was considered cool and to be mm. imitated. Mm. So I loved listening to that sound of mm. the way people spoke. Mm. And you also had the guys, you know, because at the time our bus system had gone on strike. Mm. So they had people, you know, running their van. It was called a robot. Mm. So, you know, people would get on, you know, get on the bus and, you know, they had the conductor and the driver. The driver would sit down and the conductor would get the people off the street to come in the bus. Mm-hmm. So it's like the conductor is like, come on, small up yourself. Make room for more people. Small mm. up. Backseat. Backseat. <laughs> small up yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be like three people in the backseat. I want more can fit. Small up yourself. <laughs> <laughs> They're saying get smaller. Crunch yeah, air. Small up yourself. <laughs> And then mother and child will come on. Somebody get up. Someone get up. Man, get oh. up the mother and child shit. Mm. Or an old person would get up, stand up over you and put her bag in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> subtle. Very subtle. <laughs> yeah, like, hold my bag. There was a whole system of what mm. we did. Like, mm. So Kingston had a sound to it and a smell to it and a, like almost a mm. taste to it mm. where, that I really, really adore. You know, mm. so I spent a lot of times that, you know, that was like on a side note, but from school, I never, I always went to someone's home. Mm-hmm. I would go to the garrison or what was considered the ghettos mm-hmm. or I had no fear. 
tenement mm. yards, you know, like I love the fact that people talked really loud, mm-hmm. argued and, mm. you know, just being loud. And my house was very quiet and nothing happened. So I love the commotion of mm-hmm. watching these people just laughing and cursing and mm. all that stuff that I never saw at my house. Mm. And, so raw. You know, yeah, I just love that part of the Jamaicanness. Mm. And, you know, I told my mother, that's the first place I even went and had ganja tea. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, had, I had an asthmatic friend, like, who who does that to a child? Who served them ganja tea? But it was just a part of my mm-hmm. experience yeah. <laughs> of yeah. what I did growing up. Mm. So, yeah, never went home. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so what what of those things, like if you can pull out of those, what do you feel like prepared you? for this difficult life? Was it the community, that, that idea? Uh, not being afraid of doing uh, anything. Like, mm. you know, I like to, even when I go to a different country, I always ask people, what do people in the country do? I don't mm-hmm. want to know what the poorest do. I yeah. want to know how the native people live here. Yeah. Where do you get native foods? I don't want, I never want to do anything as a tourist. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's a part of knowing my own people. Mm-hmm that makes me want to know other people and their culture and their food and their, Mm -hmm. you know, just the custom of the country. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I still don't know the custom of the American culture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I don't because it's just so many different people to try to learn it from. Yeah. I think there are so many American cultures, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh So it's hard here, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I'm prepared. I think. Yeah. Just, you know, from, talking to so many elderly people and just a lot of people on the mm, way. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You were just gathering kind of this expertise and wisdom. Yeah. You just didn't know. I just didn't know I was doing that. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Lots of listening. <laughs> yeah. That's really powerful. Thank you. Ashley, how does that compare to like what you would pull out of your life in Brooklyn and Queens? <laughs> I mean, I'd say it's different. It's definitely very different. I definitely have a lot of, photographic memories too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I am, it's interesting because I, now that I'm getting older, I do wander more like my mom does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I find, I find myself like saying, let me just turn on this street and see what I find. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not as fearless as she is. So I, I'm more of a planner and I like to like know what I'm doing before I do it. Whereas my mom was like, I'll try it. And then we'll see what happens. <laughs> Pure spontaneity. Yeah, like I'm a, I'm a color coded spreadsheet kind of person. So uh, it's <laughs> a very different uh, feeling. But yep. I do try to wander more than I used to. Mm. But in terms of what I remember from Brooklyn and Queens, when when I was really young, we lived in a brownstone in Brooklyn that my great grandma purchased when she first came to America. Mm-hmm. And you know, everyone immigrated to America at a different time. So as people came up from Jamaica to America, we all lived in this one house. So we had multiple generations living in this three-story house with a full basement as well. Mm -hmm. So there were so many of us and we always had Sunday dinner together. And I grew up with a lot of cousins. So I don't know that it's as big as in my mind, it's like this massive mansion looking with a a Mm. banister, but I'm sure it doesn't look like that as an adult. But we had this long banister from the second floor to the first floor. And my cousins and I would slide down this banister as if it were a slide. But none of us had like the wherewithal to realize that the person at the bottom should get off and the next person to slide down. <laughs> so we would all just like five of us piled up at the bottom and bumping into each other. Oh, that's great. 
So yeah, that stands out. That banister is just like, we did it almost every day and no one ever thought to like get off so that the next person could come on. Yeah. Um, it was almost like you wanted that pile up, yeah. right? <laughs> it was just like a crash landing and then we would all get stuck and try to get off. So yeah, that house has a lot of memories for me, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. even just picturing it or that neighborhood too. It was like a mix of people, but I've always been interested in art and color and like drawing and painting and all of that. So we had this neighbor across the street and he used to make like graffiti art t-shirts, which is, it was the nineties. So it was a, it was a bigger thing then. (laughs) Um, So there was like a, a parking lot across the street from our our house. And he used to, during his business hours, (laughs) he would hang up his t-shirts for sale. And I just remember being out in the front, looking at all of his t-shirts and watching him work. And that that always stuck with me because I just thought it was so cool that he made this art and so quickly yeah. too, you know? So that's a very like Brooklyn specific memory for yeah, me. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Mm. And then when we moved to Queens, it was, it was a different environment. It was more, I don't know, I guess a little quieter, mm. um, but we had this like big park really across the street from the building that my mom and I lived in mm-hmm. and it had a massive hill on it. And so like <laughs> in the sun, <laughs> In the winter time, like kids would get like, you know, garbage can covers and would slide down kind of, you know, like a New York style sled. Wow. Without the sledding. Yeah. Um, but also it's where I learned how to ride a bike. Um, and I, I shouldn't even say I learned. I, I failed to ride a bike. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you ride a bike now? I do not. And I've been scarred <laughs> since that moment. And um, again, like I said, my mom is is fearless and, and not really a planner. So she yeah. was just like you know, um, start at the top of the hill and just go down and I'll catch you at the bottom and your instincts will kick in and you will just automatically ride. And I said, this is a terrible idea. Like I was just like this, I don't know, young grown up, And I was like, this is a terrible idea. If we're going to do this, I need knee pads. I need elbow pads. I need wrist pads. I need a helmet. Like, I know I'm going to fall. I need to prepare. My mom was like, no, just try it. So I did have all the gear on. I of course fell and was, you know, scarred scarred emotionally but not scarred physically because I wore all of the protective gear yeah, so. <laughs> yeah you were a grown-up I'm telling you, you were definitely yeah I was I was definitely the adult in the relationship <laughs> I needed you more than you needed me back yeah <laughs> I always felt like I had to protect you from because you had like this really carefree spirit I was like mm. oh no someone needs to make sure there's an adult watching someone, that's amazing <laughs> isn't that crazy wow <laughs> Well, I'm wondering, you know, you have like these totally happy memories in that brownstone. You know, mm-hmm. you remember it as like palatial and full of friendly faces. And mm-hmm. um, but precious, I'm thinking for you, this was kind of your first stop as you left Jamaica. You left a lot more behind, presumably, because you had lived like a life there, right? Yeah, but we our first that's actually his beginning, but I I started out in Flatbush in an apartment. Oh, that wasn't your first. Okay. Yeah, that's Ashley's first. Ashley was born in that house, but I we lived in Flatbush for one year. Ah. So my grandmother, who was very gracious, she came to pick us up from Jamaica to five of us because mm-hmm. my mother didn't have the time off from work. Yeah. So my grandmother came to get us and she's telling us America is not what you're used to because we lived in a five bedroom house. Oh, okay. America is not what you're used to. Um, I have a one bedroom flat and I'm, I remember thinking, I can't wait to go to America to the one bedroom flat. <laughs> because uh, I yeah. didn't think it was, she really literally meant a one bedroom. Wow. So it was wow. like 10 of us in a one bedroom. 
but we were so close and that's where I took over my grandmother's job of cooking Wow! because um, my grandma was very happy that someone else in the household knew how to cook. <laughs> so I started cooking from there and continued. So yeah, lots of good memories in the apartment with 10 of us all mm. the way through that house. So yeah. you were cooking for 11 people. How, how old were you? When I first came here, 14, but I was cooking for my siblings before that in Jamaica. Mm. After my mother left, my mother had to leave us for two years. My mother left Jamaica in 1980. So we, um, we were in Jamaica for two years with family. So I started cooking because we had, my mother had hired someone to cook for us and the food was just not right. <laughs> so, it's just not right I mean <laughs> so I learned I learned you know my mother had a really good friend who was a great cook I told I spoke about her in an interview with Ash mm. so I you know whenever I needed help or you know I needed someone to tell me what's missing she would always you know you add a little bit of this or add a little bit of that mm. and I had like my cousin from the you know my mother's family is from the country mm-hmm. um, a parish called Clarendon so a lot of them knew how to cook, so I watched a lot. So I knew how to mm. do things without actually knowing how to cook. Mm-hmm. And you had your taste buds, right? Like you, you right, just right. knew you knew what you were trying to make. Exactly. Mm. Wow. So I have two questions. One before the cooking, it seems like once like this kind of chain of immigration started, like it just kind of kept going. Why did it start? And did it ever like stop for your family at some point with somebody like, you know what, I'm going to stay here in Jamaica? Well, we have people still living in Jamaica, but most of my immediate family live here. Mm -hmm. And people make the mistake of thinking that most people come to America for a better life. Mm. And we had a great life in Jamaica, great school, Mm -hmm. great education, but economically, Mm -hmm. and as it is still today, economically, it's harder. Mm. So people come here and they work and they go back home, which is what my grandmother and her sister did. They came here for a short term. And that's what people started to do in the beginning. Mm -hmm. They live here, work here, and they have their home in Jamaica, which Mm. the home still exists in Jamaica, Mm -hmm. where we grew up. Mm -hmm. So that was the plan for everybody to come here, do your thing, go back home and you have your house already. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we've gotten used to this life where it's hard to go back home. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for someone like me, I couldn't go back to live in Jamaica. It's a different life. Mm-hmm. You have American kids too. And I have American kids, but my life is more, even though I said I'm totally Jamaican, my life is more American than anything else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but the immigration, lots of my cousins are here. I can go to Brooklyn and Entire families are living in Brooklyn. Yeah. And I remember you said that, that you kind of like reformed a little bit of Jamaica right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're, most of us are here. Mm-hmm. First, second and maybe third generation are here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really critical what you just said, that even though the economic opportunity wasn't available at the time mm-hmm. there in Jamaica, the life was better. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Can you expand on that a little? Well, the life is, I think a lot of people tell you, it's still good in terms of what's there. Yeah. And people don't realize years ago, my grandmother was the first person to say America is difficult. Yeah. And people would come to Jamaica and they would, you know, tell you how great America is because they were embarrassed at Mm. how they were living here, sleeping Mm. on the friend's floor or sleeping on a sofa Mm -hmm. and working hours after hours. They weren't used to that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Educated people working as you know, doing jobs that I would never, ever dream of yeah. doing in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So they would never talk about that kind of life. Mm-hmm. So I would, you know, my grandmother worked as a housekeeper in Carlisle Hotel. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother talked about it proudly. 
Mm-hmm. This is what I do in America. This is what pays everybody's bill. Mm-hmm. She was the breadwinner for the entire family here wow. and in Jamaica. Wow. On that salary, because wow. she knew how to be a businesswoman from Jamaica. So wow. coming here was like you save your money mm-hmm. and you do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And she was a great provider. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's it's not about you know the big job you do here, it's about how you do it mm-hmm. and who you help and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. started the trend. Her and my grandfather, they started a trend of how the family should be, how we stay together, mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think, tell me if I'm wrong, I think that that's kind of, I don't know if it's a uniquely American thing, but it's definitely an American thing to judge everything as good or bad based on whether or not it's economically like advantageous or not. So like, that's why I think it's so interesting. You said the life was good there. It's just mm-hmm. that you could make more money here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it still happens. People just assume yeah. that you, you, you know, the first thing we heard people say, oh, you got off the banana boat. Mm. Like, what, is, what is a banana boat? I've never seen a banana boat in my life. Mm. You know, but we know bananas grow on a tree, but we didn't know what a banana <laughs> boat I can tell you what a banana tree looked like and the beauty of a banana tree, but I can't tell you what a banana boat looked like. Mm. It was just strange the things people would say. They just assume you lived in shacks and you're like, what? Mm. <laughs> so you stop correcting people and say, oh, whatever. Mm. Was that hard just, to get to that point? No, you just realize that when I realized that a lot of people didn't have passports, you're like, okay, I have one thing that you don't have. I have a passport. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I had something valuable. I have traveled. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And you spoke two languages at least, right? Because you spoke English and Patois. and Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about the cooking that you cooked for your siblings for two years. And then at 14, you came over and (laughs) took over cooking for 11 people, which is a monumental task. And I mean, really, I'm I'm kind of in awe at the moment. And so I would love to talk about this recipe. So Ashley, you said, first of all, even if you just called it soup, people in Jamaica would know exactly what this recipe is. Yeah. Right, mom? I'll be careful, Ashley, because we have about five different soups. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like when we say soup, we mean chicken soup. Oh, no. Be careful on that. Uh All right. Uh, Yeah, because we have a lot of different people ask you which soup you want. Mm. (laughs) Hello there, listeners. I am sorry for the interruption, but as we start to talk about this delicious recipe from Ashley and Precious, I wanted to tell you about a very exciting opportunity for you to win one of two incredible prizes just by trying a brand new recipe like this one. So over on Instagram, Anissa of The Wonky Stove and Dora of M. Grace Bake Shop decided to run a challenge that would amplify the stories of my guests on the Story Recipe Podcast. The challenge is very simple. You just make any recipe shared by one of my guests, take a picture, and tag us. This is not a photography challenge. The three winners will be randomly chosen. The challenge runs this week that we're in right now. It started two days ago, May 10th through 17th, and you can get all the details over on thestoriedrecipe.com. You can also find all types of recipes over there from very easy to very technical, um, vegan to a meat lovers, um, and from all regions of the world. It's all organized right over on my webpage, thestoriedrecipe.com. 
finally, what can you win? Okay, so for the food photographers out there, you can win a brand new backdrop from Jessica. Jessica was herself a guest on the podcast last summer talking about her Venezuelan arepas and her backdrops are amazing. I own two myself. I love them. Every image I take on them performs really well. For the bakers, Danny was a guest just a few months ago. She's a British baking instructor who trained for over 600 hours in France. She's a World Bread Awards judge and an ambassador for the Real Bread campaign. And she is offering for two winners a 30-minute private Zoom session with her where you can ask any and all of your questions about bread baking. So again, to enter, all you have to do is try a new recipe. Details are on the storiedrecipe.com. It's one of the first posts that you'll see if you scroll down to the bottom. And now let's go back to Ashley and Precious. It's chicken soup. Mm. But we, it, it, it originally is- started from using a back of the chicken because that's the part you, it wasn't considered like, the part you're going to cook with. So what do you do with the back of the soup? Yeah. You use it as a broth, right? Like they do yeah. here. Yeah. But we made the back of the soup. Yeah. The soup. So it's called chicken back soup. Yeah. So that's where that, I think that started with the chicken back soup and then chicken foot soup. Then it became, when I came to the U.S. and I told my grandmother, I know how to make soup, but I ha- you have to take me to the meat shop to buy chicken back. She's like, precious, nobody sells chicken back in America. <laughs> 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 you have to. <laughs> said, what? She said, you're going to have to use chicken wing to make a chicken soup, to make a chicken back soup. <laughs> oh, my word. I taught Ashley how to do it using a whole chicken because it yeah. just made no sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear from both of you kind of what you remember about making and eating this soup. Ashley, can I start with you? Do you remember having this like way back in the brown house? Oh, yeah, sure. This is one of the few dishes that my mom and I cook together because mm. we both cook, but we don't usually cook together. Mm. So, but I had to learn to cook it with her because it required a lot of practice to learn how to make the dumplings properly. Mm, I, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little stressed about the dumplings. But yeah, the dumplings, <laughs> they're hard. They've taken, you know, a lot of time to get and I don't always get them right, you know, because because it's just flour, cornmeal and water. So it's really easy to, it's hard to get the texture right. So they yeah. might not like really tough or kind of gummy. And so it took a lot of, and then you have to roll it into like the right shape with your hands. So it, it takes time. So there was a lot of practice for making yeah. this soup. Do you just get to the place where the feel is right? You just kind of know this is just the right. Yeah, it's a feel. Definitely yeah. It's a feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like not, if it's sticking to your hands, it's not right. You need to add more flour, but you really have to play with it and, and feel for it. Mm. Um, you have to spend time developing the gluten. You have to just keep working it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, why is that funny? <laughs> because, you know, you've been doing it all your life and you didn't know the definition of that word, develop the gluten. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you watch, you watch the, um, Food Network, you like, develop the gluten. Oh, really? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it and I've never done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just, I had no idea what that term was, but it, yeah, it's yeah, just because- but that's that's what you're doing. Yeah. That's yeah. what you're doing, developing the gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's why this recipe stuck out to me because it's something that we actually made together. But it's also, it kind of triggers a memory for me of living in that brownstone because mm. I had, my great-grandma, like my mom said, didn't live there the whole time. She, when as I grew up, she went back to Jamaica, but she would come for the summers and stay in America. Mm. So there's like pictures of us as me, my grandma, my great-grandma all together in this kitchen. And then there would be like a pot of soup always on the stove. And I, I remember the smell of the soup cooking. And I remember 
the boiling sound, but the boiling sound is like very thick because the soup has <laughs> pumpkin and, and, and dumplings and potatoes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like it doesn't sound. Yes. Like I know boil. exactly what you mean. Yeah. That yeah. Thick boil. Mm-hmm. So it's like a very iconic boil, but so mm-hmm. the soup reminds me of like those generations of women in that house, in that kitchen, in that mm-hmm. brownstone. And my, my great grandma passed away when I was 20. So it's, it's significant to me to think about this soup because it, it reminds me of my family. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm, I love it. I love it. Precious, what do you remember about it? Well, I still cook soup now because my youngest, David, is so Jamaican. So, <laughs> yes. so Jamaican. Yes. I still am working hard oh. uh, as much as I don't want to. But he loves, the first time I gave him soup when he was sick, uh-huh. I thought uh-huh. I could get away with making a little broth with a little pumpkin. Yeah. And he looked at it. He's like, what is that? <laughs> I said, soup? He said, where's the dumpling? This is not soup. And he, he just walked away. And I'm thinking, you're not that sick then. <laughs> but yes, I have to make him chicken soup uh, at least once a month. Oh. If he's not, if we're not feeling good, we're like, David, how about some chicken soup? Mm. And that always helps. The chicken, I'm not sure. It is really truth to chicken soup making mm. you feel better? Well, this one is packed with everything you could want. I mean, <laughs> the whole fridge is in there. <laughs> I, it really, well, I did want to ask you about this because see this, this actually showcases my ignorance because of course here in America, we associate pumpkin with the fall, right? Mm-hmm. Like things are getting cool. I was yeah. a little surprised. I'll be honest to know that pumpkin is grown in Jamaica. <laughs> it is, but I'm sure it's called Jamaican pumpkin. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> are they are they like the small sweet kind or they get real big too? They're more similar to the green skin. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But not that little and cute. Mm. Mm-hmm. So bigger and more orangey like that, not the fall pumpkin hmm. that they use for Halloween kind, not that squash type. But it has huh. more of the green skin one. That's oh, 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 you know, is it almost like a, an acorn squash? You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to send you a picture because it's green on the outside, but that gorgeous, gorgeous color on the inside. And it's very, the ridges are deep. I know yeah. what the acorn squash looks like. I know you're talking about, but it's not, not like that. It's not like it's not that. Acorn, no. no. I mean, I'd love to find one that's as similar as possible to what you guys have there. So I'm going to send me, send me a picture if you see one or if you can kind of, and the same about the coyote, coyote squash. Well, Jamaican people call it, it is actually a squash ammo. Um, (laughs) Jamaican people just call it chocho. So, um, oh, oh, I see it. Oh yeah. I've seen this, but it's, yeah, it's usually in the grocery store. You'll see it labeled as coyote. Okay. Yeah. I've never cooked Spanish spelling. Yeah. It's like a. It tastes kind of like a cross between the texture is like a cross between a turnip and a cucumber, if that makes sense. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Huh, very, it's mild. very mild. Yeah. Interesting. I just, I just found out you can eat it raw, Ash and uh, Becky. Oh, oh really? a friend of mine, he sliced it up and he put a little salt on it and eats it raw. Huh. Oh, great. Yeah. I didn't know that. Huh? That's so interesting. Yeah. I know I can get this. I've seen this before in different stores around here. Do you guys find this kind of pumpkin here? Where do you find it? It's not difficult to find because I can, you can get it in Trader Joe's or okay. guess, Whole Foods. It's not difficult to find. Okay. Okay. And I'm Good. sure you can use any of those squash out, out of desperation. I've used butternut squash with the orange skin. Yeah. And that yeah. makes a really nice soup. It's a little different, uh-huh. uh, but it makes a nice soup as well. Yeah. 
No, I mean, this is like loaded with so much, so many nutrients and stuff. I can see why people would feel better and really filling. I mean, super high in fiber and protein and everything. So how about this cock soup mix? What flavors does that pull in? And where I think I might have to turn to Amazon for that. Yeah. Amazon, right? Amazon or actually like, I think I sent you a link, Becky, for Walmart. Walmart sells a lot of Jamaican food products. I'm not sure why, but. Okay. I've been to a couple Caribbean markets Mm -hmm. for various, various ingredients. So the only place you can find scotch bonnets around here, which I can't eat. (laughs) No, but you have to put it in there though. Don't, don't cut it. Okay. Oh, just put it in and light. Oh, just put it in whole and let it kind of flavor it. Yeah. There's flavor. You don't want to cut it. Oh, I'll drop it in account to 10. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It takes a while. You can actually put it in for like 30 minutes. It won't open up. Okay. 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 Once in a while it will, and it'll damage your soup. But yeah. Okay. See, you, can, you can take it out after it wilts, but um, it won't pepper the soup. It won't, it won't make it too, too spicy. But then that soup becomes a pepper pot soup. So it's different from a chicken soup. Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, that's yeah that's funny okay so that's that's all really good to know I I didn't know you could do that just drop one in that's kind of like with Indian cooking you just kind of Mm -hmm. drop in the whole spices to flavor things yeah okay okay you know mom I cook it differently than you do I, I think I do because I've moved around I've made like adjustments so I'm always afraid of the pepper bursting so I just cut a little bit off and put pieces in without seeds and that's how I get my heat. And I also use canned pumpkin, which my mom is very against. Oh, <laughs> I'm like dying right now. Don't let <laughs> that's anti-Jamaican, if I could say that. Oh, yeah. What would your grandmother say about that? Oh, my God. That's just, we can't live up to that. But I'm going to try it, though. I'm going to try it before I knock it. Mm. I mean, I've been knocking it for years, but I'm going to try it one day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, like peeling a pumpkin, it's too much work. The canned pumpkin is perfect. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's the hardest part of making a soup is peeling the pumpkin. Oh, yeah. You get your knuckles peeled and stuff and it jumps off on (laughs) the edge and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You may end up doing a canned pumpkin like Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, it still tastes the same. Okay, I'll try it. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for giving me that permission, Ashley. (laughs) I might take you up on that. So you guys just talked about, obviously, this ties you to each other and to like these generations of women. And, you know, you even said earlier, Precious, like you talked about my people. As you raised Ashley, I mean, I don't have to ask, was it important to you that she identified as Jamaican? It it must have been. It must have been, right? Well, that's all I knew when Ashley was born. We only had Jamaican family, friends. Mm. We knew nothing else but Jamaican culture. Mm-hmm. And everybody you met, I mean, even though we lived in a Spanish neighborhood, mm-hmm. <laughs> we only knew Jamaican culture. So we had to leave that neighborhood to go all the way back to Flatbush to buy our Jamaican food, mm-hmm. bring it back into our community to cook. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then slowly the neighborhood started to um, have stuff in the market stores, but we always dragged our stuff all the way back from Brooklyn. Even though we still lived in Brooklyn, it was closer to Queens, which is a, a mm-hmm. long ride. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's the influence was definitely she had she had no choice, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was it? And we kind of talked about this earlier when you said this like really profound thing, which was that your memories of Jamaica and of being Jamaican is what allowed you to flourish in America, which is a difficult place to be, mm-hmm. especially as an immigrant. So what of those things did you want to pass along to Ashley? 
What about being uniquely Jamaican? Well, our mannerism, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's, you can tell, like people can Mm -hmm. identify my children, all three of them. Mm -hmm. They're very identifiable because of the way their mannerism, they know Mm -hmm. they better say good morning when they first, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) because I don't want to hear that. They didn't say good morning, good afternoon, or good night. That Mm -hmm. would really make me upset. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we we grew up like, you know, oh, don't let your mother hear that. You didn't say good morning. (laughs) If you you ever walk past someone without saying, uh, you know, presenting yourself, well, your parents going to hear about that. So it's like a big deal, mannerism, just even when someone texts me and I don't see the good morning, I'm like, wow, really? Mm. <laughs> if they just jump right into, hey, what time do you want to meet tonight? Or did you? Yeah. Get, yeah. <laughs> it uh-huh. bothers me. Like, how about good morning? And I'll say good morning. And, you know, then they'll send back good morning. <laughs> uh- <laughs> like You're raising everybody. <laughs> I remind, especially as a Jamaican person, I remind them, you forgot to say good morning. Mm. that was my big culture shock in america mm-hmm. when i first started working as a hygienist i walked in good morning and people would have their heads out i didn't have my coffee yet <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> 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 to this day i'm like i still walk in and i stopped saying good morning for a while but now i definitely say good morning to everybody because mm. i think you have to shake them up and remind them it is morning it's another day Mm. (laughs) leave tomorrow leave yesterday behind we can't get that back Mm. Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah precious you said you know your life is more american now and i'm kind of curious what that means and ashley you said and now you have american kids Mm -hmm. and i guess Mm -hmm. i'm just wondering what that what that was like like for you guys together, Ashley, did you feel like you kind of owed it to your mom to stay Jamaican? Like, how was that for you guys? It's already hard enough, the teenage, yeah, that transition. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely noticeable. I mean, I remember mm. there'd be times where my mom would say, you can't do that, we're Jamaican. And I'd have to be like, but not entirely, you know? Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think I had a lot of friends who grew up in, they weren't Jamaican, but they grew up in immigrant households and yeah. other immigrant parents had some, a lot of my friends had the same, like we're talking two different languages, even though we're both, we're all speaking English. Right. Like families. Right. Um, so I had people to have a camaraderie with in terms of like, you know, I, we're, I wasn't supposed to be dating or like, you know, my mom was like very strict about certain things that I think I'm American kids whose families who've been here for generations mm-hmm. were not strict about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was definitely there were a lot of times my mom would say like, we were Jamaican. And I'd be like, we are Jamaican. And as I got older, I was like, but mom, I'm not, I'm not Jamaican. Like Jamaican is the culture, but like, I consider myself a black American woman Mm. um, and not a Jamaican woman. So I think it's taken a lot of time to like come to terms with what my identity is in this country, because I grew up in like at school, I was American at home. I was Jamaican. And now, (laughs) now I'm, comfortable with being a mix of those things, but I Mm -hmm. I wouldn't consider myself Jamaican. And when people ask me, I always say my family is Jamaican. Mm, Um, So that's that's, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a very big part of who I am, but it's not something I I fully identify as. Mm -hmm. 
not that we got into it. I think as far as the teenage years go, me and my mom got along pretty well. Mm. Um, <laughs> but there were times where, you know, as long as, as long as she was doing what you, the mother told her to do. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, she did have to put her foot down about things like cleaning. I was a very kind of filthy child, but, um, <laughs> and just like, yeah, same with, mm. you know, academics and, uh, and dating, I was just like not allowed to at all. Mm. And all of my friends had the same thing because their families were like, you're not supposed to be dating. Mm-hmm. What is this? So how was that like for you, Precious, kind of, you know, seeing your daughter, you know, growing up is about them moving on anyhow, but for you seeing her become more and more American or even having her assert, I am an American. How how was that for you? I'm getting used to it because I know like when it's time to be show her culture, she's very she knows about being Jamaican mm. and she knows about being American. So if th- this makes her happy and I'm, I'm happy she asserted because I always say that I'm Jamaican with African mm-hmm. descent, you know, African heritage, mm-hmm. but yet I would never have her say she's American, but mm-hmm. I always say clearly what I am. Mm-hmm. So I know where my family are coming from and that I'm, you know, I have African roots and I'm Jamaican, but I never say I'm American. Mm. So now when she says she's American, I have to accept it. That mm. that's what she is. She knows what she is. Yeah. Yeah. I can see what you're saying. You can't kind of proudly say what you are and not kind of allow her to, to say that. I can see that. Yeah, But yeah. I'm very strong about who I am, but I never asked her what she wanted. <laughs> uh-huh. It was uh. just my kids are Jamaican, but they're not. They're not. Mm. Jamaican. They just so happen to have a Jamaican mom. Mm-hmm. Well, Ashley, I want to, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. I'm really locking onto this statement that your mom said about it's difficult to live in America. Mm-hmm. And then she qualified, maybe that's as an immigrant, or maybe it's just difficult to live in America. And I'm like, maybe it is difficult to live in America. <laughs> I think the human existence is hard in a way, you know, but I'm curious, what do you think, Ashley? Is it difficult to be an American? I think it's difficult to be a black woman in America. Mm. Um, I I always tell my mom this, like I sometimes wonder what my life would have been like if we had, if our family had stayed in America, in Jamaica, because, Mm. you know, while I've had a lot of opportunities and, you know, I got to be the first one in my family to get a bachelor's degree. And, you know, that was a big deal for my grandma. And like, I had a house and had clean water and good food Mm. and all of those, those things. Mm-hmm. But I also have a very specific trauma that my mom didn't have growing up in Jamaica. Mm. And it's weird because this country is like perceived as safe and I don't feel safe just navigating my life. Like I'm scared for a lot of reasons and I'm, you know, profiled in stores and followed and treated poorly. So it's, and I've gone back to Jamaica as an adult and I've, my shoulders were less tense and people might've been judging me, but just judging me based on my, like me as a person rather than like, am I a criminal? So mm. I, there are things about America. I think life in America is difficult as a black person. I think it, it depends on what your identity is and how you feel. Mm. Um, but I also think America in general is a lot lonelier than I think other countries. Like I think family is such a big thing in, in Jamaica and mm-hmm. your neighbors are looking out for you and like everybody knows who you are. And like my, when my mom said like, you didn't want to act poorly on the street because everybody knows your mother and would tell you about it. I think people here are not as connected as they are in Jamaica. So yeah, I think life in America is hard, um, mm-hmm. but there are also a lot of great things that I'm, you know, I'm used to, and I, 
I like about it. It's just, mm -hmm. I, I do think it is, it would be easier. There are certain things about living in America as me that, mm -hmm. that makes it difficult. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was very heavy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, <laughs> I just want to leave you plenty of time to say everything that you want to say. I don't want to rush into, into another question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we'll just leave it at that. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So precious, you talked about this global village that helped raise Ashley and her siblings. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about them? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it started from my friend taking me to Lamar's class. Mm -hmm. uh, he would just come and pick me up in my, what is eighth month? Mm-hmm after work and I would demand that he show up for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to be there? You have to do it. Mm. And even now, 30 years, 33 years later, he's like, Jack, you were so demanding. <laughs> like, oh, you had to do it. Now he's like, yeah, I had to do it for my girl, Ashley. <laughs> no. I said, that's Garfield. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, my friend Jennifer, who took care of you two months old so I can go back to work. Mm -hmm. And Ashley, I didn't produce enough breast milk. So mm -hmm. she I think she was sensitive to the Similac. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what else to give her. So my friend is like, I'm going to make her some evaporated milk with water. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what Jennifer fed you in your bottle. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure. I was like, do whatever you think is best. I don't know. Mm. So we have like, you know, lots of babysitters who just came into our lives and just took yeah. the kids into their I just they were always safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Always safe. So, mm -hmm. so just a lot of different culture and different foods. And mm -hmm. I just remember at one point you were responding to Russian. <laughs> were you really? Yeah. Well, actually, Becky, when you asked this question, I, the first thing I thought about when I think about this global village, I think about Elvira, who was my, first, I mean, I had other babysitters, but she was the one who felt like a grandmother and she was Russian and she had me calling her babushka, which means grandmother. Oh. In Russian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I would go there in the mornings because my mom worked part time. So mm -hmm. I would go to her house on the days where my mom was working mm -hmm. and I would go there in the morning before school. And my mom used to send mom, right. You used to send breakfast and Elvira was well. like, this is so insulting. Like I'm taking care of her. I'll feed her. Yeah. Yeah. Women are so territorial about food and cooking, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, she used to make me bulgur wheat and then she would put like heaps of sugar on it and it would melt into the hot bulgur. And that was my breakfast. And wow, she had like an old hang crank meat grinder in her kitchen and she freshly ground meat every single day. Really? Yeah. And she would always make, she made borscht a lot. So that's like a beet soup. You would smell that. Yeah. Yeah. At the time. She made a lot of cabbage -y dishes. So there was always that smell of cabbage. And then everything she cooked had like sauteed onions in it. So I always remember the smell of like cooking onions, which I love that smell. Yeah, and, I do too. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when I think about this global village, Elvira really stands out to me because she was like my Russian grandmother. Um, wow. Yeah. wow. Mm, that's pretty cool. Well, <laughs> so I'd like to return to this name and kind of tie that together with what Ashley, you were saying about what's difficult for you about being a black woman in America and just talk about this idea because you guys talked about it in your interview also of Precious, you you spoke so like powerfully and eloquently about how important it was to you that your kids had the experience that you experienced, which was to feel 
that you mm-hmm. were worthy, that you were enough to feel that you were precious, which is what I think is so powerful about your name. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm wondering, one, how do you feel like that was instilled in you? Did your name have anything to do with it? And two, how did you instill that in Ashley? And then Ashley, for you, I'm going to just ask all these together so you can take the <laughs> microphone, take it whatever direction you want to go. Do you feel that that insulated you in any way from this trauma that you speak of, the ways that you've been treated? So just, yeah, talk to me, talk to me about all of that. Yeah, I definitely, my mom was always really my biggest advocate Mm -hmm. and always made me feel worthy and loved. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that being black was seen as a sort of negative thing until I was really in school. Um, Mm -hmm. Elementary school is when I first noticed it, Mm -hmm. but my mom always stood up for me. And even like within Caribbean culture, you know, because colorism is a thing across the world, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. colonialism was a, a worldwide. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Caribbean people would say when I was younger, I remember someone saying like, oh, she's so, she's so pretty mm-hmm. to my mom. So she's so pretty, but wouldn't she be like even prettier if she had lighter skin? Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom coming in and being like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just sticking up for me. Mm-hmm. So I always had that, like knowing that I am okay the way that I am. I am beautiful. I'm smart. I'm all of those things because mm-hmm. my mom always stood up for me. Mm-hmm. And I was also like a really, very, very shy kid, like Mm -hmm. deathly afraid of talking Mm -hmm. to anybody. And, you know, adults would say to my mom, you know, you need to get her to talk more. You need to encourage her to be different, to to be like the other kids. And my mom would say, this is who she is. Mm. Give her her time, be patient with her, let her be herself. She'll come Mm -hmm. out of her shell when she's ready to, if she's comfortable, but don't try to make her someone that she's not. Mm -hmm. This is who she is. And so I always had that, like, sense of it's okay to be who you are and I'm I'm worthy of being and that my mom will always support me regardless of what society says. So I, I think I, I was really lucky in that sense that my mom never tried to make me be somebody that I'm not. Mm. Thank you, Asha. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. <laughs> mm. It's hard because I like, growing up in Jamaica, like I know we have a lot of colorism. Mm-hmm. Um but we also had a lot of I love Rastafarians. Mm-hmm. And my mother had a very great friend who would come to her house all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just loved their culture within Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And they would all, you know, I would always hear, you're so black and pretty. Mm. So for me, being black was a beautiful thing from a young age. Mm-hmm. So I never experienced what Ashley is talking about mm-hmm. because I loved being dark skinned. I just, it was just something that was praised. Mm-hmm. So I, it breaks my heart when I, yeah, when I hear that, you know. So I, I'm very defensive. Yeah, when people talk about people's skin color and their nose size, and I just don't mm-hmm. get into that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like show me something positive, man. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the rest, the Rastafarian culture. Like, be positive or mm-hmm. all positive, positive vibe. Negativity is not getting you anywhere in life. Mm-hmm. So stop pushing, you know, stop berating people. Don't put them down. Just yeah. how can you uplift them a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, you know, it's hard that colorism stuff. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So my, my goal was to just always make sure my children felt safe and worthy. And yeah. And I think, I think, I think it's interesting. And I think it's something like we just, we just have to hear is that 
you both had supportive mothers telling you how wonderful and beautiful and all of that that you were, but precious because you also heard it from your society and Ashley, because she didn't, it was just a struggle for Ashley Mm -hmm. that it never had to be for you. And I just think that that's like really important for a lot of us to hear is that even going back to this village thing, right? Like parents can give us a baseline, a bedrock of security, and that's great, but we do also still need to hear it Mm -hmm. from the rest of society. Like society can undermine what parents are saying. And so we do all have a responsibility to be kind of pushing towards a society that make children feel beautiful Mm -hmm. and precious. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys have given me a lot of time and I don't want to take much more, but Ashley, I also don't want to neglect your blog. (laughs) So I just would love you to tell me the story about it. And it was interesting that you used earlier, you were talking about artistry and that you always loved color. Mm -hmm. And I loved, I I love the name of it, Bright Roots blog. And I also love that when you read about your food, you mentioned that you want your food to be colorful, which is such a visual (laughs) word. So tell us about your blog, um, how it started and what's important to you. Like, what are you trying to say with your blog? Yeah. So I've always loved bright colors and probably because my family's from an island. So (laughs) (laughs) surrounded by bright colors. I was really like I said, I drew and I painted. And so I was always doing crafts and colors have been really central to my life. And I was kind of thinking about it as I thought about this question as to why that was. And I think Mm. because I was so shy, like art was the way for me to express myself and Mm -hmm. color was the way for me to show that even if I didn't have the words to express Mm. it. So I think that's why color is so significant in my life. And if you come see my apartment, you'll see it's full of color too. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So yeah. And, and I think for food, you know, I've people eat with their eyes. So I I like to eat colorful food. And and I think seeing the bright colors like makes, makes me happy. So I like to have that in every aspect of my life and especially in the thing that I'm going to eat and that's supposed to be giving me joy anyway. So, right. 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 um, Yeah. I think that was really important for me to convey that Mm -hmm. it's not like, Ooh, vegetables are hard to eat or gross or whatever. It's like, no, they're beautiful. They're colorful. And like, yeah. You're, you're interested in eating it because it's so colorful. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of the inspiration between behind Bright Roots Kitchen was to like draw people in with the color and then hook them by hopefully by the taste. Yeah. And then I guess my inspiration for, for starting the blog was I'd, I'd always cooked and I'd always like eaten pretty well growing up. But when I went to college and then when I started working in like cubicle jobs, I started eating pretty poorly. Um, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the office I worked in, they always had like free brownies and cookies. And I thought this was like a wonderful thing, but um, <laughs> so I was backing <laughs> up on the brownies and the cookies, not realizing that I felt terrible because it wasn't like I had gained weight, but it really wasn't the weight gain. It was the the fact that I just felt like crap. I wasn't eating anything nutrient dense. So yeah. I was feeling terrible. And then I had like a yearly physical and the doctor said, and I'd never in my life had high blood sugar, but the doctor was like, you know, your blood sugar level is in the pre-diabetes range. You're going to need to wow. change the way you eat or else you're going to be diabetic before you're 30. Wow. And you know, that was terrifying. So, but I already knew how to, how to eat healthy or, or eat fruits and veggies. It wasn't a, a problem. I just had to yeah. learn to like incorporate that into working adult life. Yeah. So the blog was my way to make recipes and come up with, with that. Yeah. And also I'm, I'm lactose intolerant, but I don't know, in my 
younger 20s, I thought I was invincible and I kept eating dairy. <laughs> so I also <laughs> felt terrible from that. So everything on my blog is also lactose free. And so, awesome. you know, now I cook the way I cook and I'm used to it. But the big push was to avoid being diabetic before 30. And then I also, while I was in Virginia, was part of the Master Food Volunteer Program, which is part of the Virginia Cooperative Extension. So I took yeah. like a 40-hour training and it was about like healthy cooking and eating and food safety. And it was taught by registered dietitians. So I learned a lot about, and I, I don't even like to call it healthy cooking. I might mm -hmm. revamp my blog a little bit, mm -hmm. but more just like real food from the ground. Yes. Making, uh -huh. that, making that type of food less scary to people. Yeah. Just... Returning to your roots. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that what, tell me about Bright Roots. How did you yeah. choose that? There's so, so many layers to that name. There are layers. <laughs> yeah. So Bright is obviously because of the color. And, uh -huh. um, the roots is two prong. So the roots, as in like cultural roots, because a lot of my yeah. recipes are influenced by the foods I ate growing up and the spices that I use. Yeah. But also roots, as in like foods from the ground, like right. fruits and vegetables. I love it. I love it. And then you've won several contests, like big contests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I started entering cooking competitions because I've always been pretty shy. So it was a way for me to build my confidence with something I already thought I was good at or that mm. people had told me I was good at. So mm -hmm. it was a way for me to put myself out there that was less scary. Mm. One of the big ones I was in was I entered a taste of home. Um, yeah. <laughs> And so I was featured in there. They have a couple of subset magazines. So it's Taste of Home, Simple and Delicious. Yeah. And I was featured in that one. And they put like a picture of me and I was like a burger slider recipe. But what's really funny to me about it is that they labeled me the speed queen, um, <laughs> which if you know me, like my mom is laughing. If you know me, like I'm like so slow moving in every aspect of life. And like, I cook extremely slow. Um, you're methodical and systematic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're in a hurry, do like, I'm not the person. I'm always slow moving. Um, I eat slow. I do everything slowly, but I cook slowly intentionally because I really enjoy like the process of cooking. It keeps, mm. makes me feel peaceful and grounded and I get to be creative. So yeah, it, it was really funny to me that they called me the speed queen in that. That's so yeah. funny. That's amazing. Well, congratulations on that. Thanks. Yes, yes. So so this will come out actually, I think the week after Mother's Day. And Ashley, I, I only bring this up because you did bring it up in your interview that you have suffered a miscarriage. I think it was your only pregnancy and yep. you lost that baby. And so I know that this day... Mother's Day and the whole season, the whole concept of Mother's Day can be really problematic for a lot of people. And I would love for you to speak to that from your perspective. Sure. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up because I, I do, you know, prior to, obviously I, it was my first pregnancy, so I didn't expect to lose it. So it was, mm. it was hard. Mm. But prior to that, Mother's Day had always been this happy celebration for me. And I get to celebrate my mom and all of the wonderful moms that I know in my life. And, but now it's kind of a, like a both and situation. Mm -hmm. Like I'm happy to celebrate these mothers, but I'm also sad for myself um, mm -hmm. because it's not just mother's day for me. It's also what would have been my due date falls on mother's day. So oh, Ashley, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's a double, a double for me. Like, mm -hmm. but one of the things that's really important for me and for people who are listening to know is that mm -hmm. lost moms are moms too. Mm -hmm. And just because we have a different experience with motherhood doesn't make us any less of mothers. And mm. um, 
you know, there's a large community of lost mothers who I've met online who have been really, truly wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of prop each other up and like, say your baby mattered, your baby counted. And yeah. just because no one else decides to recognize you as a mother, because you don't have a child walking on earth, mm-hmm. we still recognize you as a mother because for all of the days of their life, you were their mother. And for all of yeah. the days of your life, you will continue to be their mother. Yeah. So something I would tell people, I, cause I think people say this to be to be nice and encouraging, but they say like, one day you'll be a great mom, or I know that one day you'll be a mother, but I, what it does is it diminishes the fact that you already feel like a mother. And it kind of makes that experience feel like it didn't count. Like that was some sort of medical fluke and that your baby didn't count. And so I would say to people who want to be supportive of, of lost moms mm-hmm. that send that mom a mother's day card and say mm-hmm. like, your mother, your baby counted Mm -hmm. I love you. And I know that you love your baby deeply, Mm -hmm. you know, grief and loss is really uncomfortable for people. So it's easier to say like, oh, if, if it happened before the the second trimester, that didn't really count or like, let's not talk about it or let's keep it quiet. But I always caution people to say that just because it's uncomfortable for you or because it's causing discomfort to talk about something, your discomfort shouldn't attribute to anyone else's continued pain right? So if it's like, if you feel discomfort discussing something, you have to check that on your own time. But someone who's already experienced something painful, mm-hmm. don't hide their experience just because it's uncomfortable for you. So it's like, yeah. force yeah. yourself to engage in that and acknowledge what they've gone through. Because honestly, you know, I feel really, I won't curse, but I feel really <laughs> powerful having been through that because my body has experienced life and death. And a lot of people don't know what that feels like. And I'm still standing, you know, and that baby made me stronger. So I want to talk about him. I want to talk about his life and he mattered to me. So yeah. Precious, do you think we can close by you sharing something that you have loved about being Ashley's mother? (laughs) Something I love a lot of things about. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love being a mother you know, to Ashley, to the, to to my sons. Mm. Yeah, but what what makes me happy is just to see the people they have evolved into, mm. mm-hmm. and to know that everybody who's helped to raise them, mm. they're all happy to see them, the person they have become. Mm-hmm. So I think that's my favorite part of the three of them. Mm-hmm. is that they've become these wonderful, caring people mm. and the people I wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Precious, I'm sitting here thinking if in 10 or 20 years, I can say that my boys grew into the people I want them to be, that I believe God gifted them to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm like about in tears just thinking about the ability to say that. So I'm... So happy for you. So happy for you. And if you think it will happen, they're going to be beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep praying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. It's just been such an honor to talk to you both. And yes, happy Mother's Day to both of you, Ashley and Precious. And Yes. And Ashley, can you tell everyone where to find you, how to reach out to you? Sure. So my blog is Mm brightrootskitchen.com or you can find me on Instagram at brightrootskitchen, all one word, all lowercase. 
I technically I'm on other social media, but I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't keep track of the other. So just no. send me on Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much. Is there anything else you wanted to say? No, I just want to say thank you, Becky, for having us on. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> giving us a time and happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been a huge honor and privilege. Thank you guys both so much. We'll be in touch. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Ashley and Precious for this vulnerable and beautiful conversation. You can find all of Ashley's contact information as well as the recipe for their Jamaican chicken soup over on the blog. If you liked this episode first, I would ask that you forward it to someone else. That is the best way for the podcast to grow, to share these stories and the voices of my guests. Also, I would invite you to listen to last week's guests, Lexi and Beth, another mother-daughter team that has worked together to build a hugely successful vegan blog, The Crowded Kitchen. Lexi and Beth talk about learning to trust one another the struggles of starting a new business. They share lots of memories. They talk about eating disorders and how all of their experiences came together to make their business what it is today. And finally, I do ask that you please subscribe. Every week, a new guest comes on to talk about their own particular culture, memories, traditions, religion, how that all relates to food and to those who love them through their cooking. Most of the summer is booked up at this point, and I cannot wait to share these amazing episodes. I do also just want to thank one of the new reviewers that left a review this week. This is Marcus C. She says, I love the diverse guests that Becky has on this show. Through the podcast, I've been introduced to some wonderful food bloggers. I credit her for helping get me out of my food rut. That's so great, Marca. And I hope that you will try this chicken soup. Although don't do what I did. I did exactly what Precious warned against. I used a habanero. I left it in too long. The soup was way spicy. So don't make that mistake, Marca. Thanks for the review. Thanks to the others who left reviews this week. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.